If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome back to Considering Catholicism. I'm here again with Ed the Protestant. And here I am. Yes. We just finished a rousing conversation about, well, what exactly was that about? About pastors and evangelical pastors and, and cults of personality versus the Catholic Church. Yeah. And then it just kind of wandered a little bit. It kind bit, of wandered. Like but... we had this idea of something we were going to talk about. And then it just right. like so many of our conversations do, they're, they're, it's right. like a word, a fancy word for you, peripatetic. Oh. Yeah, I've heard a, that word, like, but I never. Yeah, it's a fancy it. word. Like means it wanders about. It was a very peripatetic conversation. We sort of wandered about, it, and I'm not sure exactly where it landed. But we just took a quick minute break, and now we're going to try to get back to, I think, what we were going to talk about the first right, time. the topic at hand, which is the differences between priests and pastors. Yes. So it's becoming increasingly obvious to me now that I've been doing this for a couple of years with you. The, the church, the Protestant, the Catholic churches are just far more greatly different than I ever thought they were. Right. And the, now I'm fascinated. The, I want what I, one of the things I'd like to know is, well, there's a bunch of things I want to know. Like, how do you, how do you get to be a priest? What's their education? What do they do yeah. with the church? So, so let me, let me kind of do a little bit of a deep dive sure. on the differences between a <clears throat> Catholic priest and a Protestant or evangelical pastor. Okay. Okay. And let's start with terminology. Okay. okay. A priest, the Catholic Church, a priest is what the guy is. Yep. Not necessarily his job. So the analogy I use here is, let's suppose somebody is a doctor, like a physician. They go to right. medical school, they get an MD, and they're Dr. Right. Bob. Right. And Dr. Bob is a doctor. He is a medical doctor. He is an MD. but he might work in private practice. He might work for a pharmaceutical company. He might teach at a university. He might work in the government as a government regulator, right? In other words, he is a doctor, but there's all these different right. roles that he might do. So in the same way, someone becomes a priest, but there's a lot of different things they can do. They could be a pastor. Somebody said this to me the other day. I said, as a Protestant friend of mine, and I said, I mentioned my pastor. And they go, well, who, you have a pastor? I go, yeah, I do. Pastor Michael. I, go, I didn't think you had pastors. You have priests. And I go, well, no. Our pastor, it, Father Michael is a priest and his job is to pastor our parish. He might, there are priests that teach at a seminary. There right. are priests that, work in administration. There are priests that are missionaries. There are priests that are hospital chaplains. There are priests, right? Yep. So the priest is what they are. And then there are all of these jobs. Okay. One of the jobs is to pastor a local church, 
to be the pastor of a parish, which mm-hmm. means that you're pastoring the people running the local church. That is a job for a priest. But so not all priests are pastors. Does that make sense? Yep. Whereas Protestants, when you talk about a Protestant pastor, this gets super confusing. So when I got out of seminary, there was still, at least within some denominations, the concept of an ordained minister. So you went to seminary, you went through these processes, you were ordained as a minister within the denomination. And then, of course, you could do a variety of things. You could teach at the the denominational college, you could pastor a church, you could be a missionary, you could work for the denominational headquarters, there's any number, you could be a hospital chaplain, right? But there was still that concept of the ordained minister. I think in the evangelical world, there's not so much that concept anymore, there's just simply pastor. And, And so that job, pastor, in other words, overseeing a local church, is the thing and it's an office it's a job it's a function but they don't have this concept of someone who is a priest in their personhood yeah that's yeah it's entirely different so let's talk about that what the priest in their personhood is in the catholic church the sort of essential purpose of a priest is Mm -hmm. to act in the person of christ Right? It's the Latin yeah. phrase, in persona Christi. And the reason is, is that to do the sacraments, so there are seven sacraments in the Catholic Church, and all of those sacraments are things that are instituted by Christ, baptism, confirmation, right, confession, the Eucharist, so on and so forth. And in those sacraments, which are things that, in a sense, the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ enacts in a person's life, the priest is acting in the person of Christ. The most obvious one would be like in confession. Sure. So we've talked about that before. When we've talked about confession, you go in and you're not going in to have a counseling session with Father Pedro. Right. Nor are you going in to have Father Pedro sort of evaluate you and decide if you're okay. Father Pedro, when he goes into the confessional, you know, puts a certain kind of stole on, whatever, says certain prayers. And then he sits there in the person of Christ and you're not confessing to Father Pedro, you're confessing to Christ who is represented in that spot right. by Father Pedro. And then when Father Pedro absolves you, he is using the power of Christ and acting in the power of Christ and the authority of Christ and in the person of Christ to absolve you. So a priest is ordained to act in the person of Christ through the sacraments. Okay, I'm a podcaster, right? I, and I write and I do some teaching. I was an ordained Protestant minister. I was an evangelical pastor. I can never be a priest. I never will be a priest. I'm not a priest now. And I can't perform any of the sacraments. I can talk on this microphone and I can teach a class and I can do, write articles and I can do some of the things I do. I don't need to be a priest to do those things. I do those by dint of my education and my experience and my vocation or whatever. I can never be the priest at our parish. I can never be the pastor at our parish because I can't perform the sacraments. Right. I can't celebrate the mass. I can't give the Eucharist. I can't baptize. I can't marry. I can't per- give the anointing at last rites. I can't do any of that stuff. Right. And at our parish, I have a part-time job at our parish as director of ministries, which means that basically I oversee the program and administrative stuff at our church. Right. And I remember when Father Michael came, when he got assigned to our parish, and I had been there working for the previous pastor, 
the first time we met, I sat down and I said, Father, there's a lot of us here who can perform a lot of functions here, administration, teaching, program, all these kinds of different things, facility maintenance, everything else. But there's only one person in this building that can perform the sacraments and be the priest. And that's you. So our goal is to do as many of those things that we can do so that you can have as much time to be our priest and perform those functions that only you can perform right so his essential purpose is to do that and and most priests have a lot of other responsibilities one of the things that i noticed it just was just shocking to me when i came into the catholic church and started working in a parish because i'd been protestant pastor world for 30 years yep I had no idea how many responsibilities your typical parish priest or parish pastor has and how many hours, just how, how much they have to do way more than I ever had to do. Um, Oh, well, I mean, obviously they have all the, the the sacramental responsibilities. They have all of the pastoral care responsibilities. So there's people who are sick and need funerals and all this. And so that, it consumes a lot, but they're also responsible for administration. So the way the Catholic church is structured is different than most Protestant churches because you have a diocese and mm-hmm. the bishop in the diocese in a sense, I'm using scare quotes here, right. owns all of the parishes and schools yeah. and hospitals in the diocese. I mean, obviously the bishop doesn't personally own right. them, right? But they're, they're under the office of the bishop right. in the diocese. and then. Each of the pastors is responsible to the bishop for the administration and financial administration and staff administration yep. of these things. So when I was in the Protestant world, we had finance boards and we had this and we had that and we had so many other kind of professionals around us. But I look at your typical parish priest, parish pastor who has the care of all the souls, all the sacramental responsibilities, and is still also personally in charge with overseeing the administration, everything from building security to the insurance, to the making sure that the books pass audit to making sure everything else. And they're just, they just work a lot and they have a lot of responsibility. So they, they deserve a a ton of respect and support for that. But here's the thing I want to say that I think is, is really critically different. So the Catholic priesthood, like I said, it's something that somebody is, not just what they do, is brought about or initiated by a sacrament. So of the seven sacraments, one of the seven sacraments is the sacrament of holy orders. Holy orders means ordination into the priesthood or the priesthood and the bishop or the Episcopal thing. So there are six sacraments that you and I could participate in. Baptism, right. Confirmation, Eucharist. Right. Uh, but there is one sacrament, which is the sacrament for ordaining men into the priesthood or okay. into the office of bishop or deacon. And when they do that, they are sacrament ordained into that. And the significance of that is like all the sacraments, baptism and everything else, it is an indelible mark. It creates a sort of ontological change in the person. So look at your baptism or look at baptism as the Catholic Church. Once you're baptized, you can't be unbaptized. It creates an indelible mark on you. It it makes an ontological change. So you have person A 
who is a human being who is not baptized and person B is a baptized human being, then that creates, in the case of baptism, regeneration of that person. It becomes an ontological essential change in, in the person. It's an indelible mark. It's like Corey and I recently did an episode where we talked about the sacrament of matrimony, which one of the reasons why the Catholic Church doesn't allow for divorce is because it creates an indelible and indissoluble character, right? And the same thing with the priesthood. It is indissoluble. It can't be dissolved. So this is interesting. Once a man is ordained a priest, that bell can never be unrung. Mm. He can never not be a priest. So let's say Carlos goes to seminary and and goes through the sacrament of holy orders yep. and is ordained a priest in the Catholic Church. Then he is given something called faculties to operate as a priest, which is like a license. Okay. So within his diocese, the bishop says, here's your license to go out and perform the sacraments and to wear a clerical collar and call yourself Father Carlos and operate. Just like you would have an analogy might be an attorney, somebody goes to law school and graduates with their law degree or or medical school and graduates with their medical degree, but then they get licensed to operate as a physician, right? Yep. So in the same way, a Catholic priest becomes a priest sacramentally, and that is an indelible and dissoluble mark on the soul. He then is given faculties to operate, uh, and essentially a license to operate as a priest by his bishop. One of the things that's interesting is that a priest travels to another diocese, so on a vacation, a trip, speaking engagement. Or let's suppose you used to live in California and you want the priest who you grew up with to come and do your wedding or your daughter's wedding here. So he's going to travel to Michigan to do your daughter's wedding. He has to get a piece of paper from his diocese in California, from his bishop that says he has faculties and he is a priest in good standing or, right. you know, in clerical standing. And then he shows that to the church or to the diocese here. Okay. It says, I'm coming into your diocese and I'm offering. That's to keep somebody from running around, right? Yeah. But the point I'm trying to introduce is this distinction between the priesthood is a forever thing. Once yep. a priest, always a priest until you die. You can never not be a priest, but you can have faculties or not faculties to operate as a priest. So Father Carlos gets his, you know, becomes ordained. He's a priest. He's a priest forever. He will always be a priest. His soul will always be marked with a priesthood even after he dies. And the, but Father Carlos then gets by his bishop faculties. And so he goes out and he starts performing the sacraments and maybe he becomes pastor of a parish or right. Yep. And then for one of a couple of reasons, Father Carlos loses his faculties. Okay. Maybe Father Carlos decides, I don't want to be a priest anymore. But that does happen. You know, sometimes men will request of their bishop to be released. Okay. Right. And if he's released from the clerical state, he is released. He can no longer be called Father Carlos. Yep. He can no longer wear a clerical collar. He can no longer represent himself for a priest and he can no longer perform any sacraments. But he is still a priest. He's in a sense, an ex-priest or a priest, right? His soul has been marked with the priesthood, okay? Another instance would be if Father Carlos did something bad, 
like a bad thing, like abuse or criminal behavior or something. And so then he gets, in a sense, fired or laicized. Right. And then at that point, his faculties are removed. He's laicized. So you can no longer perform the sacraments. He can no longer represent himself. But he will, he is marked as always a priest, just in the same way that like when you were baptized, you may wander away from your faith. Mm-hmm. You may not go to church for 20 years. You may go out and live a totally debauched life, but you are still a baptized Christian. And, and so a priest is marked that way and always will be. In a sense, if he did something bad and he's sort of laicized or defrocked or whatever, uh, it can be sad right. and tragic to see a man marked with that, just as it would be tragic and sad to see a baptized person who was baptized or confirmed wander away from their faith. Right. He wandered away from the priesthood, but he's still a priest. Am I making sense yes, here? Yes, and my, my question is then, do, do certainly Catholic churches will employ big ones more than one priest. Is one of them the pastor then, and the other one is not? So, well, they'll have, like the bigger ones will have, one will be equivalent to, you want to be like the senior pastor or the, pa- or the well, they'll call them the pastor, and then they'll have the guy who's the associate okay. pastor right. or associates. Okay. And so, yeah, they'll have that little hierarchy. So, you know, if you have a big, a, a big parish, you'll have pastor Bill, right, and then he has two associates. Okay. And maybe he has what they call a senior priest, which is a euphemism for retired. And maybe there's a senior priest there who helps out with part-time with, right. you know, things or something like that. Um, so, so I just wanted to drill down on this, the priesthood being an indelible thing and then the priestly function being different. Because I think that's radically different, especially than your evangelical pastors. So the evangelical pastor is role as a pastor is purely functional. It's like an office, an office, like you're the mayor of the right. town or you're the dog catcher for the right. town or whatever it is, right? So there's the office of pastor and you can hold that office of pastor. Right. And then you can not be. So for myself in my career at various times, I, I was ordained as a minister. It was not sacramental. Right. Was more of a commission, more like getting that medical degree. Right. It was more like I had an education and then I was ordained, but it wasn't a sacramental character. Right. And then I was employed as a pastor right. at several churches. But when I stopped working at those churches, I'm not a pastor anymore. Now, I, I think, as I've explained before in the podcast, I think I have a vocation to always kind of right. serve the Lord, but I no longer right. occupy the office of pastor. I right. don't, don't have that because that is a functional office. Yep. I, I think I understand. Yeah. I yeah. think the other thing that's really interesting about that kind of goes back to the conversation we were having before in the previous episode, because one of the things that's a little bit weird, especially in the evangelical or Pentecostal churches, is how do you declare someone to be pastor? Is it a function of education or training or this or that? And a lot of times it's just sort of by acclamation. Right. Especially in a Pentecostal church, you'll say, well, so-and-so has preaching and he's doing this and clearly has an anointing because look at all the people that are coming. And yeah. so therefore he, he's the pastor. And until such a time that we decide that he doesn't have that that Protestant pastor 
their function depends on a thousand different things or their qualifications depend on a thousand different things. I mean, every denomination has a different set of requirements, educational requirements, licensing requirements, employment thing. And there's a thousand different ways in a thousand different denominations that you can have this title pastor. But in the Catholic church, a priest is a man who has and there's, there's certainly seminary requirements, education requirements to get to this point, to qualify for that. But it is a man who has been sacramentally ordained into holy orders, which makes him a priest for life. And then he is given faculties or permission to operate as a priest by his bishop yep. until such a time that he is released from that, either okay. because of age or death or scandal or whatever. Yeah. So why here's I don't I don't want to take you off your thought there but why do you call them father? Oh yeah, <clears throat> and th- th- I get you get this a lot. Like no, we call no man. Jesus says call no man father. Right. right? Well, which is kind of crazy. Like Jesus says call no man father except God. You go well then what do I call my dad? Well, right? right. I mean so clearly Jesus isn't saying don't use the word father. Right. right. And I, and I, I can get into this whole reason why that's sort of weird way to interpret that verse, but they're called father because of spiritual fatherhood. So if you look in the New Testament over and over and over again, like Paul talks to Timothy and calls him, that Timothy is his son and that he's Timothy's spiritual father. Paul in his his letters references many times this concept of spiritual fatherhood of of the leaders, of the pastors, of the church, to the the people they disciple. Yeah. Um, And so... In the early church, the title in Greek was presbyter, which was senior or elder leader. Right. And then that evolved into the concept of priesthood, the one who could do the sacraments. Yep. And then within the Greco-Roman world, the word father had a lot of different meanings. So potter, which is the Latin word P-A-T-E-R. Yep. Like potter familius is the head of the family. Yep. So in, in, in the Roman world, the potter familia, it basically means that the head of the family is the dad. It might be the grandfather, right. might this. It's the, the elder male within the household who is right. the potter familius. And, and so, and you would call you know, the senior male or the senior man or the senior leader father is just part of it. So it was a term of respect, but it's rooted in this concept of spiritual fatherhood because he pastors us, he disciples us. He, when he acts in the person of Christ to give us the sacraments, yep. he, he is acting in that position of sort of spiritual fatherhood. And we, as members of the church, follow and, and receive the graces of the sacraments from him. Yep. So it's a term of respect okay. in that, that way. My, this is like my last question, but what, the relationship of the priest to a person who attends that mm-hmm. church. I assume that if he's acting in the role of a pastor, it would be similar to my relationship with pastors. Yeah. But is there, um, is there any, are there any differences? Well, um, I, I think the, yes and no, but the, yes and no experientially. I mean, a lot of those just have to do with the personalities of the people involved. So for example, if you go to a very small parish yep. where you, where a lot of people know Right. the pastor, and he has a gregarious outgoing personality right. where he's really good at learning people's names and he's maybe extroverted enough to go around to people's houses and visit them right. and have dinners and get to know everybody, then you're going to have that same kind of relationship. He's going to be, you're going to call him father 
Bob or whatever, but he's like your pastor, right? He, and you can look at a lot of parish priests that are, they're out there at the kids' softball games. Our, we have a school attached to our parish and our pastor is over at the parish school all the time, hanging out with the kids and the teachers and is very involved in the lives of attends events. And if there's a youth group, whatever, he'll show up to it. And if there's a couple's dinner, he'll show up to it. And so, yeah, you're going to have that. But then again, you're going to have, you're going to have other priests who are are functioning as pastors who, for whatever reason, personality wise, are not going to have that warm of a relationship, but there's no functional difference in that pastoral role. I do. I just thought of this. I will say one thing real quick about that though, is that a lot of Catholic priests are spread very thin for a couple of reasons. I think if you went back 50, from what I understand, 50, 60, 70 years ago, when there were more priests per capita, one of the things is the priest shortage. We don't have enough of them, so they are spread thinner. You would go back to a medium-sized parish 50 years ago, and there would be two or three priests at your parish. Now there's one. And at our parish, we have 1,600 families. So there's one priest with 1,600 families, one pastor. And now there's other staff people, but there's one guy. And the other thing is that they tend to get rotated around, not always, but they tend to get rotated from parish to parish around every five, six, seven years. Okay. And there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of times the bishop wants to allow younger priests to gain experience in multiple parishes. And a lot of times they'll start out in a small one and then move around. And and then the ones who get experience in a medium-sized one will get moved around right. to the bigger ones right. as they become older and more experienced. And, and also a lot of times the, the bishops don't want to, what we were talking about in the last episode, allow priests to develop cults of personality in sure. the local parish. Sure. So a lot of times you'll have one priest and maybe you'll have 500 or a thousand people in your parish and he's there five or six years. So he gets to know people, but maybe not as well as your your evangelical guy who's right. been one guy at the church for 20 years. Since well, here's what, here's what occurred to me is that if you go to a, if there's only one priest at a parish and everybody is going, most people are going to that priest for confession, that changes the dynamic. And he knows your voice. There's no way that he can talk to you in the lobby over and over. <laughs> and then you go into the, and it is, I understand the anonymity and I understand what they're doing, but there's no way he doesn't know it's you. Well, yeah. I mean, if you talk to them a lot of times, especially if you think about it, church with 1500 families right. there's thousands of people so right. there's going to be some people he recognizes your voice but right. you know um thousands and thousands of people right you know he doesn't recognize everybody's voice well, if you're if you're a frequent person or somebody he has a relationship with the, the other thing is and this is a whole nother t- tangent if you talk to a lot of priests and they'll talk about what it's like to be in the confessional yep a lot of them will go i don't remember anything right like they, they, they go, like I pray before I go in and it almost right. feels like I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the correct word is, but they, they just kind of drop into a state of where they're intently listening, but they're in a spiritual state where they kind of disconnect and they're not, they're not keeping track. And but a lot would, of times they'll, they'll walk out and say, I don't even remember. Right. But it would change it for me. Yeah. If I'm shaking the guy's hand in the lobby and you're maybe, going in and confessing and, terrible things. Ed. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't remember, but I told well, him what I did. There's you know? a simple solution to that. And a lot of Catholics will feel that, Hey, I feel like I know my priest really well. And there's things that I maybe don't want to confess to him because they're embarrassing. And that's something that maybe you should or shouldn't feel. But, but sometimes they'll just go, well, I go to confession at the nearby parish. Is that okay? Yeah. You can go to confession anywhere. Oh, I go wow. to confession when I'm traveling. 
I've gone to, wow. I mean, sometimes when I'm in and out and I'm, I'm traveling, I'm in another state or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go to confession if I want to. I've, I've gone to confession in St. Peter's Basilica when I was there. Oh, I'm like, Oh, Hey, there's this whole line of confessionals. And I go in there and there's some Spanish or Croatian priest or something. who doesn't know me from Adam. So one of the things that you can do is you can simply go to confession at a nearby parish. Or right. They have an express confessional, six sins or less. You can, <laughs> you can get in and out quick. Yeah. But no, I would say that functionally, it really just depends on, on the the personality of the pastor. Some are warmer than others. I know a I know a priest in our area who has he has a dog. He has it's like a Labrador Retriever, and on Sunday at Mass or whatever, his lab is in the in the narthex or the lobby with him, and people are walking in and petting the his right. And he yeah. likes to go to people's houses for dinner, and he's really that way. And then right. I know guys that are a little more introverted, and they they kind of do their thing and they go back to the rectory. And I think that's more a function probably of their personality. Whereas I think back to our previous episode, so much of the Protestant evangelical pastor thing is a cult of personality. So if you're not a people person and you're not a guy who's going to develop all these warm, attractive, magnetic relationships with people, you're not going to succeed. And I think that's maybe a point to end on here is that because the Catholic church isn't about that cult of personality, Right. There's such an emphasis on that in the in the evangelical world. He better be warm. He better be friendly. Yeah. He better know my name. He better remember my kids' names. He better do this or that. And that becomes kind of a qualification for being able to be an evangelical pastor, right. where it's not a qualification to be a Catholic priest. Okay. It's nice if he does have that, but right. some do, some don't. Right. Very good. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Ed. And yeah. we'll, we've got some, I think, some fun things to talk about in some episodes coming up. So we'll look forward to that. Looking forward and so everyone who's listening, real quick, thank you for listening. Would you remember to rate and review the show? That really, as I always say, helps us move up in the searches and become more visible. Would you also go to the website? consideringcatholicism.com. You can find all of the episodes there categorized by topic, searchable by topic. You can also there leave me a message or you can always email me consideringcatholicism at gmail.com. Send us your comments and your questions. And would you consider supporting this ministry so that we can keep it going and help more people to consider Catholicism? If you'd like to, there is a link in the episode notes and there is a link on the website to support us with a one-time or recurring donation. So thank you for listening and we'll be back in the next episode with more interesting things to talk about. Thank you.